Oh, I wish I had the same effect on my children that I do on you all. That was great. I walk into the room, and boom, wow. Take note, guys. Oh, man. Welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy. We're delighted you're here to worship with us. Let's pray as we continue to hear from God. Father, we're thankful for this morning. Time of worship, we do truly say, God, there is no one greater than you. That's, that's the best thing we can say. Uh, there's nothing more than that. Your glory, your gospel, your kingdom, your rule, forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. So this last, let's see here. I'm trying to think back. It was Friday. It's a long ways for us. Friday, I picked up my oldest son from summer day, an overnight camp at Spring Hill. This week is day camp. Last week was overnight camp, and it's an interesting thing, obviously, for parents. We go through a lot of twists and turns, but I'm sitting at my desk during the week, and I'm working, I'm answering emails, in the back of my mind, I'm seeing pictures of zip lines and paintball fights and water balloons and splashing in canoes, and I'm thinking, man, that sounds a lot more fun than this right now. And I imagine, are there a few other adults in the room who might agree that on occasion yeah, maybe that your day job or your regular routine gets a bit boring. I mean, it's not that it's for lack of work or you're not busy or you're not pressured or you're not stressed, but at times you're just like, man, same old grind, Woo, a lot of stuff, can't keep up. But there's a lot more fun things I could be doing right now. For example, if you're a young person, you're thinking about summer camp, paintball, zip lines, rock climbing, etc. If you're a midlife crisis man... You might be buying a motorcycle, or perhaps you're a retiree, and that means it's time to fire up the, three times rhymes with retiree, RV, very good, thank you. You know, whatever your adventure stage of life is, no doubt there is some thirst for the thrill, some searching or longing for something more that can't be contained in an office or a cubicle or anywhere else. Indeed, the call of adventure draws us all. Regardless of your tolerance for risk or whatever, there is no doubt something that pulls at you that says there is something more than this. I suppose that's why in early 1900s Arctic explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton received an overwhelming response when he put the following very simple yet short advertisement In an early London newspaper, he said, Men wanted for hazardous darkness, constant danger, and safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition in case of success. Warren Wearsby, commenting on this ad, said, You know, if Jesus Christ had advertised like this, his ad might have read something like this. Wanted. Men and women, to build my church, you will often be misunderstood. You will face constant attack from an invisible enemy. You may never, ever see the results of your labor in your lifetime, and your reward will not come until after all your work is completed. It may cost you your ambitions, your home, your family, and even your life. But it'll be worth it. Those are a couple letters from our era, but let me also read you in just a second here, one from 
130 AD. Like just a hundred years after Jesus was crucified. Thousands of years almost before now. Like a long time ago. These new Christians were showing up on the scene. And people did not understand them. And they're asking themselves. What is this? Here is this group of people. They're not Jews. They are monotheists. They're not pagans. But they have some of this Judaism stuff. Yet without all the trappings. And who are these people? In this letter to Diognetius, the the question is answered like this. From an outside observer's standpoint. And listen to how relevant this is for today. And you have to listen closely because it is significant. Here it is. Letter to Diognetius 130 AD. says, Christians are not differentiated from other people by country, language, or customs. You see, they do not live in cities of their own or speak some strange dialect. They live in both Greek and foreign cities, wherever chance has put them. They follow the local customs and clothing and food and other aspects of life. They don't look like the Amish or some other strange sect. But at the same time, they demonstrate to us the unusual form of their own citizenship. They're not Democrats or Republicans, conservatives, liberals, or whatever. They just live in their own lands, but yet as aliens. Every foreign country is to them as their native country. You might feel more at home worshiping with believers in Asia than you do in your own job. And every native land where they're at now is as a foreign country. They marry and have children just like everyone else, but first century, they do not kill unwanted babies. They offer a shared table, but not a shared bed. They are passing their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the appointed laws and go beyond the laws in their own lives. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are put to death and gain life. They are poor, like financially, yet they make rich spiritually. They are dishonored, yet gain glory through dishonor. Their names are blackened, yet they are cleared. They are mocked and blessed in return. They are treated outrageously and behave respectfully to others. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. And when punished, they rejoice as if given new life. What is it to be a Christian? What is the high calling of Jesus Christ? That thing that is way better than any adventure we could ever imagine. Zip lines are not thrilling enough. The oceans are not beautiful enough. A motorcycle is not fast enough. There is something that is way higher than all of these. Challenging and rewarding. Filled with ups and downs and all kinds of crazy surprises along the way. It requires perseverance, patient endurance, and a willingness to wait beyond the point of no return. Yet at the end of the day, the only place to be. What is the high calling of Jesus Christ and what does it look like for you and for me? Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles 
hear the word of the Lord to you this morning. It says this. And Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over unclean spirits and he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no beggar's purse, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and not put on two tunics or take an extra change of clothes. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, then when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. What does it look like? The high calling of Jesus Christ in the life of an average believer. I mean, Pastor Jeremy, there's disciples, there's Jesus, there's John. But what does it look like in my life? We are thousands of years removed from that, as you've said. And I am in the daily grind, and that adventure does not seem like theirs. What do we have in common? Two things. Two things. Even though you're probably not wearing sandals this morning and you did bring your wallets, there is a difference. There is difference and similarity in the calling of Christ on your life. There are two things that we have, and they are these. If you're taking notes, you can write these down, and we'll work them through the whole message. It is this. We have a message. Number one, we have a message. They have a message. Number two, we have a mission. We have a mission. Both New Testament believers from our era and their era have two main things in common, a message and a mission. Message and a mission. Mission. What does that look like? Well, first, let's look at the message. I want to skip back to the beginning of Mark, where the message first came out from John the Baptist. At the very beginning of this good news story, John the Baptist, the forerunner, the herald, the one who comes before the king, called out in the countryside and proclaimed, said, John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Then after the forerunner came the thing itself and Jesus came and said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe in the gospel. And remember today we read in Mark chapter six that the message of the disciples, just like John and just like Jesus was the exact same thing. So they went out and proclaimed that everyone should repent. The good news, believe it or not, the good news is that we should repent, that there is a chance that even though we're headed in the wrong direction, there is an opportunity for it to be made right. If there was no message of repentance, it would be over. But because there is this chance, then there is a very real possibility that the king may relent from bringing judgment and give us a second chance. Repent. Repent. The message of the good news Is that the king is coming. The king is here in Jesus' case. And that he will return. And therefore we must align our lives with him in every single way. And if there is anything that is not in perfect alignment with the person of Christ. We must repent of that. The king is an absolute perfectionist. And he will not accept anything outside the scope of what he has designed. 
This is the message. It is one of repentance and all of us, regardless of how extreme we may feel or how good we may feel, need to repent on a daily basis. Repentance is not just a message for the unbeliever. It's the oldest believer to the youngest, to the new, to the whatever. All of us need to repent. Someone said to me once, and I think it's very true, that the difference between a young believer and a mature believer is not that the young believer repents a lot and the mature believer never has to because they never mess up. It's exactly untrue. But the real message is this. The mature have a shorter gap between the time that they sin and repent. That's what shows maturity. Not that they never repent, but the gap between the time when which they mess up and when they do is very short. The king is here and therefore our lives must align with him. That is the message of Christianity that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now listen, that's part of the reason why it's an unpopular message. Because the popular message is you're all okay. I'm okay. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Do whatever you want and have a good time. But this message is exactly the opposite. It comes in and says, no, that's wrong. Stop. You're headed in the wrong direction. You're moving towards destruction. And if you don't change, the king will come and with him judgment for your own good. Repent. Stop. Change. This message, as you may know, if you've tried it before, is received in many different ways. But the simplest way to say it is sometimes it's received with joy and gladness. And other times it's received with outright opposition, rejection, hatred. For us as followers of Christ, Those two things are reality, but they don't impact the content of the message. The message doesn't change regardless of its reception. You're not like, okay, hold on, let me massage that a little bit. No, it's the same message all the way through, whether Jesus, John the Baptist, disciples, or us today. The message is the same. Repent. Repent. Stop. Change your ways. What you're doing is wrong. Follow after Christ. That's the message. It doesn't change based on the time, the place circumstance it might be greek it might be jew it might be gentile it might be asia it might be north america it doesn't matter message is the same repent king is coming that's the message the second thing we have in common with the early believers is the mission the mission now if that's the message repent which is pretty simple i think you can remember what's the message repent the mission is also very simple And that is to communicate the message. We are essentially uh, messengers. Don't shoot the messenger. Well, in fact, they might. We are like the UPS driver where it's not we ourselves or our vehicle that delivers it that is of importance, but it is the content of the package itself. What we bring is valuable. And therefore, our mission is to communicate the message. Now, you know, if you've been in our church We want to do that in a lot of different ways. The most simplest way we say it is we communicate in word and in deed. And not one or the other, but both. Some people reacting to certain emphases at different places and different times will overemphasize one or the other. 
at some points, there's the social justice, social gospel emphasis, and they totally forget about Jesus, and they're just like, show them your love by your deeds. And they leave it at that. And they build a lot of nice stuff, and they do some wells, and do some medicine, and yada, yada, yada. And they're nice, but they never tell anyone about sin and hell and the need for repentance. They leave something out. Then there's another approach that says, okay, man, we can't forget the message. And they come in and they just blow up and all they do is message and they leave. And people are like, do they care about us or not? And they miss it because all they do is emphasize the word. But when you look at the New Testament, what you see is those things are never separated. Jesus uses words. Even Jesus uses words. It's not enough to say, just show them by your love. That is not enough. Jesus himself. How to use words. We have the New Testament, the Bible, the scriptures. That is proof that God wants to communicate in a clear and written way. This is his method. Via verbal and written communication. But he also does so through deed. And so when you look at this passage, what in fact you see is you see the words, their message, repent. But you see that accompanied by good works as well. Verse 13 of chapter 6 says they cast out demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and were healing them. So not only were they calling out repent, but they were also helping people too. And so the message is really both and. So we're to communicate the message, repent, but it's not enough just to speak it. We have to live it as well. And it's not enough just to live it. We have to speak it. It's a both and. Both words and deeds are necessary. You see this in multiple ways in our church We have teaching on Sunday morning, both from the pulpit and in our small groups and back in our children's ministry. We not only have teaching on Sunday mornings, we have it throughout the week, but it's not just teaching. We have ministries like Go Local, where we intentionally emphasize going out into community to show them our message by our deeds. There's lots of ways to minister minister the good news. And it's not exclusive to one, but it needs to be both, both word and deed. So the mission is to communicate the message. Now, when I say there's a mission, um, regardless of your setting, you've probably understood that if there's a mission, there's necessarily going to be opposition. Whether you're in the military, whether you're in the corporate world, whether you're in the non-for-profits, wherever, if you have a task that you are pursuing, inevitably you're going to run into some difficulty. And so what this text is doing, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit to the sandwich picture here in just a second. What this text is doing is it intentionally showing you that at times life is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And our temptation is to think, okay, we're with Jesus. Everything's going to be awesome because he's awesome. And that's the reality of the disciples in this context. Like, remember the... The miracles that just happened before this. They got the stilling of the storm. They got the casting out of demons. They got the raising of the dead. These guys are probably like, woohoo, bring on the kingdom. Let's throw out the bad guys. Here comes the new. And then Jesus stops for a moment and says, oh, by the way, did you know they're going to hate me and they're going to hate you too? Welcome to the team. Yes, you have me on your side. But if you are really living like I want you to live, if you are really saying what I want you to say, then when you tell people to repent, sometimes they're going to hate you for it. 
Because what you've told them is what they're doing is wrong. And they need to change and they're not going to like that. And that's a tough message. But that's the message Christians are called to deliver. We don't get to place judgment upon the message. The message judges us. We just deliver the message. And so in this context, here's what you see. Here's a picture. This is what we'd call a rejection sandwich. And Mark, I think, likes sandwiches. I think he really likes sandwiches. And I'll keep this up for just a second. I'll show you why. In the previous section, we had the story of the healing or the resurrection, the raising of the little girl. That's a sandwich section. Because you have the little girl is sick. And all of a sudden, there's a delay. And there's something else that jumps in the middle. And then, boom, the little girl is healed. Mark likes that. He uses this literary device a lot of the start with something, interrupt it with something, and then come back to it at the end. Here's what you see in this passage. I'm only focusing on the call of the disciples in the middle. You can go and read the other two. The reason they're there is to communicate this. Jesus, the guy who just is feeding people and healing people and stilling storms and casting out demons, he gets rejected. And then if you skip over this section and you go to the next one, you see John the Baptist, the other side of the bun, and he gets rejected too and his head gets lopped off. And then right in the middle, Jesus says, okay, so what do you think your lives are going to be like? Here's me and my rejection. Here's John, the guy he just said is the greatest human being on the face of the planet. And now here's you. Why would we think our lives are going to be any different? You are truly following after Jesus Christ. There should be some opposition. And that is not a discouragement. That is an encouragement. If there's no wind in your face, then that means you're not moving. But if you're pursuing Jesus, you should feel some sort of opposition. Here's the rejection sandwich that's going on in Mark. It's Jesus is rejected. The promise to the disciples is that they will be rejected. And then the clear demonstration of what will happen to Jesus and to the disciples is what happens to John. Here's what it's going to look like, guys. This is what you're in for. You will have all kinds of joy. You will have all kinds of adventure. But you will have hardship, heartache, rejection, and eventually martyrdom. What does that say to us? Are we all going to be martyred? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't even want to say I hope not because I'm not sure what's best. God knows. But what I want to say is this. We will face opposition. That is a clear principle. If there's a mission, if you are a school teacher, you're a non-for-profit worker, if you're a soldier, you're going to run into resistance. At some point, if you are on mission, you will run into resistance. So expect it. And don't be discouraged when it comes. Because when it comes, that means you're not on the wrong path. You're on the right one. The wrong one is wide and easy and smooth. The right one is narrow and difficult and dark. And if it were not, we would not need a shepherd. But because it is, we have someone with a rod and a staff to comfort and guide us. That rod and staff are strong and big. He walks Softly, and he carries a really big stick. If you follow the shepherd, his path determines your own. Do you understand that? 
If you follow the shepherd, his path determines your own. What did Jesus' life look like? Was it all rosy and wealth and riches and honor and glory? Not initially. He gets there eventually, yes, but through the valley of the shadow of death. And then there's resurrection and glory and honor and life. That's us. First through the valley and then to the mountain. Expect opposition. Look, there is a message. Repent. There is a mission. And if there is a mission, that means there will be opposition. That is the nature of it. Jesus' destiny determines our own. Did you hear that, church? Jesus' destiny determines your own. If you're a follower of Christ, you will suffer. If you're a follower of Christ, you will die. If you are a follower of Christ, you will be resurrected to reign and rule with him in glory forever and ever. There's the message. Don't tell me the message is to make my life happy now. Don't tell me the message is to get what I want whenever I want it. That's not the message. The message is repent. The king is here. And if you're not in alignment, you're in trouble. But if you are, you're still in trouble. But the trouble is not near as big as him. He is way bigger than anything you'll encounter. And so all you got to do is sit down, shut up, and listen. Let him take care of business and you follow. And opposition gets in the way. Call out to your Savior and ask Him to help. You trust that He will at just the right time and just the right way. Problem is, when we start stepping in, we get in the way. If you are a follower of the Shepherd, His path determines your own. It's not going to be that much different. Sure, different rulers, different countries, different time periods, but it's all the same. A message and a mission. So expect opposition for your mission. Also, if this is the case, then you're going to need need commitment, serious commitment. You need to be committed to the mission over comfort. In other words, you need a mission-first mindset of commitment over comfort. Look at how that plays out for the disciples. Mark chapter 6, verse 10. Jesus says to them, it's a funny statement. Nobody laughed. I wanted to laugh. Listen to it carefully. When you enter a house, stay Until you depart. Good. That's profound. Stay until I leave. Got it. What does that mean? Stay. Don't go. Why would you run? Well, I might have got an upgrade. I was in coach in the back of the plane, and all of a sudden, a better ticket became available. I was like, better pay, more time off. Time to go. Yeah, but that little girl in the desk right next to you needs to hear about Jesus. And you just ran away and you're the only one who could tell her. This thing says to stay. If you walk into a house and the first one's a really beautiful one with granite and marble countertops and stainless steel and yada yada. And they say, man, not sure. And you walk over to the little hut and it's not so beautiful and they have straw mattresses and they say, come on in. Guess what? Stay. But what if the people next door who have the mansion come back and say, actually, we might be interested. Stay. The call of Christ is not an upgrade here and now. It's a commitment. It's a commitment to the mission first 
over comfort. The call to stay. I know sometimes God calls you to go. It's not all the time stay. Clearly there's times when they leave, they're rejected, they wipe the dust off their feet, they move on. That's clear. But the emphasis here is if you have a mission, then in order for it to be accomplished, you have to be committed to it. Even when hard stuff comes. So expect opposition and commit yourself to commitment over comfort. That's a mindset. There's also a method. You know, I don't want to become too, uh, I don't know, systematized or whatever else. I don't want to be a legalist. But there is some clear principles here that apply to them and apply to us as well. And you'll, you'll experience this in your daily life. Mark chapter 6, verse 8. He says, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. Like, go and just take a stick. No bread, no food, no bag, no money in their belts. But wear sandals. Don't put on two tunics. That means no change of clothes, just what you have. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay until you depart. So the point here is this, is basically he's sending them out with nothing so that they will be completely dependent. That is a clear principle in Christianity. Regardless of whether you have a little or whether you have a lot, we are all 100% dependent upon God. You got a big stock portfolio, man, you better be dependent on God for that thing to stay where it is because it can go tomorrow. You got nothing, you're dependent on God. Get your food for today and for tomorrow. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, where you're at. The principle is the same. You absolutely must be dependent on God. And what's cool about it, it's not just random like, Okay, spiritual, but it also includes God's people. How many times have you been somewhere in life where you are at the your wit's end, the end of your rope, there's no hope, and all of a sudden you prayed and somebody from somewhere comes up to you and is like, you know what? I don't know, I don't know why, but the Lord just told me to, boom. And you're like, <sighs> so surprised. Why are we surprised? As if we can't communicate to him and him to them. It happens all the time. Talk to me. Talk to missionaries. Talk to anybody. There's all kinds of needs out there. And you're like, Lord, I I mean, here's a real example. Okay, real example. Real. This happened this week. Can I use the shoes? Can I use the shoes? Is that okay? You got them? All right, good. All right, here's the shoes story. Permission granted. This week, uh, I'm going on a trip this week, so I was going to get a new battery for my phone and da-da-da, a few other things along the way. And we were getting ready for school, so we bought our kids shoes. And you know how kids are. They're growing, 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 growing. Well, a shoe pair we got was just a little too big, and so the current shoes are too small, and we would own them to mess them up before school, so we're trying to hold off, even though shoes are tight, and this and that and this and that. And I'm on my way to the battery store, and I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, there's a Salvation Army. I don't know. I'm going to go get my battery, and maybe we'll stop there and see if we get something cheap just to hold us over for a little bit. And I just prayed and asked God, said, okay, I got, you know, mom wants to keep them nice till school. Kid wants to wear them now. I'm like, what do we do here? Dad's in between. I don't have a win-win here either way. I'm stuck. Stretch. What do I do? Don't buy new shoes, that'll break the budget, but what do I do? Lord, will you please help? 
So we go to batteries and bulbs and whatever, and we're getting the battery put in, and Salvation Army's just around the corner. I'm like, okay, 30 minutes till the phone is fixed. Let's go over there and do what we do. So I take one kid over, and I say, hey, we're looking for men's shoes, size eight, eight and a half. And she's like, uh, we really don't have many in shoes. But if we have them, they're over there. We walk back there. Guess what we find? Shoes. Right size, Nike Airs, and some Lands in brand new. Thank you, Lord. Everybody's going to be going to Salvation Army right after this. Pray along the way. It just might happen. I don't know. I'm not promising that, but it was neat to see it in a small way. But we know it's happened in some big ones. We are in Canada. When we're in seminary. You're on mission trips. I mean, go talk to Rick afterwards. You'll hear stories of God's amazing provision. This is why he sends them out like this, because he wants them like walking hand in glove with him. He wants them totally dependent. So anything comes along the way, they're like, "Uh, Lord, help. And boom, he has a chance to provide. I know personally, I would rather not have it that way. You know that? Just be honest. I would really rather have endless resources of my own so that I would never have to ask. But God has given me a greater grace, put me in a position where I need. And being in need means you need him and you have to ask. And that's a good place to be. Shepherd can't provide for you what you already have. But if you don't, then you're in a great spot. And look how he does it. He does it through God's people so many times. God's people come at just the right time with just the right thing to make it better. Go to a house. Tell them you're a Jesus follower. See what happens. They're either going to be on your team or they're not. And if they're on your team, wait and see how I will bless you. We have this in common. It's the same thing. I dare you to go on a mission trip, stay in somebody's home who you've never met in your entire life, and watch how they bless you, even if they have way less. There's a dependence on God and his people. There is also an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You see these guys casting out demons and healing the sick and anointing with oil. It says specifically in this text that they were given authority. There's a lot of different opinions on how that plays out. My opinion is that these apostles were limited. They were apostles and there are no longer apostles. So when the Bible is written, the Bible is done. And the authority that we have is still the authority of Christ, but it's not the authority of an apostle. So I don't get to say to you, thus saith the Lord, and it gets written down and turns into scripture. And I don't have the same authority and power that the apostles do. But we do have the same Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is not limited by time or error or anything else. And so you can call on him, and you can trust him to act. In what way? I don't know. To be specific, you call and ask, and he'll help you figure it out. But here's the thing. Either apostle or prophet or Jesus himself, all were dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. So too must we be. So summing it up then here before we conclude, here it is. This incredible calling, this big adventure, this thing called Christianity, being followers of Christ. What does it mean? It means that we have a mission and a message. Mission is to communicate the message and the message is that the king is coming. So repent. We know there's going to be opposition. We know there will be discomfort. But we're committed to the mission more than anything else. Dependent on others and empowered by the Holy Spirit, Jesus has promised 
that this thing will win. I've just got done telling you that you may lose everything and become a martyr, and yet I'm telling you, you're better for it. I'm saying the very last thing you ever wanted may be the very best thing for you. Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus who determines our destiny. Lord, he gave us a mission, mindset, method. Pray that we would be committed to it, follow it at all costs. Lord, what you have is good. What you have is better. What you have is best. Lord, cause us to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.